Welcome to the first edition of the Rough Life Podcast. I am your co-host, Logan Glover, and with me today, as always, Norman Hall. Hey, gang. How are you doing? So this podcast is going to tackle a couple of important chapters in our lives, okay? Uh, The first thing is is that we're both golf fanatics. Uh, We've both loved golf as, you know, as teenagers, grew up with the game, uh, played it with friends. Norman actually played in high school. Uh, I was too artistic. I was too artistic to be in sports at the, at that age, but, uh, uh, golf has just always been a big part of my life. I grew up in the tiger woods, Phil Mickelson kind of rivalry era. And for a lot of people, my age golf was important because of tiger's influence on the game. Uh, Norm, like what made you love golf the way that you do? Cause you're one of the more golf obsessed dudes I've ever known. <laughs> uh, I fell in love with golf when I was in junior high. Um, I, I didn't have a parent who played, but in my seventh grade English teacher's classroom, she had a whole bunch of golf magazines and I picked them up and I flipped through them and just became hooked and started watching it on uh, Sunday afternoons and Saturday afternoons when I could. Uh, We had a old black and white TV that we kept out in our uh, garage and I'm dating myself a little bit here by saying it was a black and white TV, but I would watch it out there. Um, my dad had zero interest in it and I just became captivated with the game. And, um, for my 13th birthday, I got golf clubs and I've been playing ever since. So this game has tormented me now for three plus decades. And it is, um, still something that I love probably too deeply. I am a golf junkie and I watch it all the time. Like I will rewatch the playing of tournaments like women's tournaments that I've already watched sometimes uh, because it's golf and it's on TV. Yeah. Yeah. You're one of the few people I've ever met who absorbs as much golf content as you do. And so when we at the uh, scuttlebutt sports show decided that we wanted to launch a golf specific podcast, they said, you know, Logan, we know you love golf. We always tell you to shut up when we talk about golf on the main show. Uh, Do you have anybody in mind that, you know, checks the boxes for golf super freak. And obviously Norman came to mind. Uh, Thank you. I think (laughs) golf super freak Norman Hall. Uh, No. So, I mean, we both love the game. I got a set of golf clubs when I was 11 for Christmas and I got to hit balls into my grandpa's pasture. Uh, And uh, from that point on, I loved the game and I found people that loved it. And, you know, my dad liked golf. He plays a little bit. He loves to watch it. He was a big Phil fan. Um, So naturally, uh, I was a Tiger fan and we got to compete about that, you know, in my upbringing. But uh, honestly, man, like golf is just a special game and it connects people in a pretty incredible way. I mean, I've met dudes on the course from other countries that I, you know, that I'd never have the chance to hang out with. And instead I get to spend a day with them and kind of get to hear a little bit about their life. And, you, you know, the stories that come out of golf, there are so many insane golf stories out there. I know yeah, you've no got doubt. No doubt. And it's something that you could, you know, it's cliche, but I mean, it's really a game that you can play for the rest of your life. And uh, you're always kind of playing against yourself. Uh, You're, you're playing against the course. Um, You can play against someone and you and I, we've had some, some back and forth uh, rivalry uh, between the two of us. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, even if you just go out there and you play by yourself after work on an evening or something like that, uh, it still can be just enjoyable as enjoyable if you're out there with three of your best friends playing a Saturday foursome or something like that. Heck yeah. Uh, So, 
you know, that's kind of the, a little bit of the background as to like why we decided we wanted to make this show. You know, Norman knows so much about the game, both like from a mechanic standpoint and from a, a content standpoint, like this dude just absorbs so much. And then, you know, I'm a sports freak. I'm a junkie. I absorb a ton of, of sports content from all over the map, but golf is the thing I love the most. You know, uh, I'm an NBA junkie and I love, I love basketball, but golf is my, is my other love. And I love to play it. I love to watch it. Uh, and I love to uh, talk about it. So that's why we're here. Uh, so that's a kind of a long winded intro to get into it, but I think it's important to kind of establish a baseline uh, as we get into all this stuff. Now, a couple of things that you need to know right off the bat about Norman and I, all right. Uh, he is my brother-in-law and we have been competing since basically the day that I met him. Uh, that's correct. <laughs> Norman was uh, once upon a time before he dated my sister, he was my camp counselor at a, at a church camp. And we, we were playing a game. Uh, I was an annoying little 12 year old and he's a, you know, college guy. And I thought he was cool. I don't know why, but I did. And uh, Still we, I am cool. Yeah. He's super cool. And uh, anyway, we were, we were playing this game where you had to pop people's balloons. Like you had balloons like taped to your legs and arms. And uh, Norman basically uh, tackled me to the ground and popped all my balloons. Uh, and that was the day that uh, we became friends, really. So, been friends ever since, man. Been That's how it started. Since. We need you to did. recreate that sometime. I think that would be a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, he's my brother-in-law now, and uh, we've been competing in golf, specifically. Um, kind of, you know, he's been considerably better than me over the years. He had a lot of years on me uh, of experience for for a while. But uh, when I started, you know, really getting more deep into golf, maybe about seven, eight years ago, really pushing, you know, to become a decent player and working hard on it. We started, you know, he'd be the guy I played with the most. Like I've easily logged the most rounds in my life with Norman. Uh, and he's always been, I don't know, somewhere between five and 15 strokes better than me every time we play. And for a long time, getting to where I competed with him was kind of like a goal of mine. Right. And uh, I remember one time we were playing this little nine hole course back in OKC and I tied him after nine holes and it, and it like kind of ruined your day. You were like, oh man, like this is the, finally, he's finally caught me. And, uh, and so ever since then that kind of launched a little bit of a rivalry and I've gotten a little better. I'd like to say Norman's got a little worse and you know, we've, we've kind of met in the middle. Uh, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Norman's I don't know a- about all of that, but you have improved, but uh, we recently have initiated a uh, kind of a, a competition series that's codified where we play against each other majors. We call them. We stole that from the good, from Mike and Eli over chasing scratch. Uh, it's a good idea. So we, we pilfered it and we've been doing that. And, and with a few strokes, we can make them competitive and we've had four now and they've been, there's been, there's only been one really major blowout. They've been pretty uh, neck and neck. So uh, it's about time for us to be doing another one of those, by the way, we need to get that on the schedule. Usually we've already had our first major by now. Um, And I look forward to us doing that. There are uh, several courses here in Oklahoma city that, uh, that we need to figure out which ones we want to play. Usually we do a 36 hole, you know, 18 one day, maybe 18 the next sometimes, if we can't, we'll, we'll skip a week or something like that between them. But the idea for us to get 36 holes in and uh, doing a match play, doing it, you know, old school, the way they did back in the 
the 1850s. <laughs> when our forefathers played golf. That's exactly right. Like back, you know, with the, uh, you know, old Tom Morris and uh, young Tom Morris, the way they would have played each other. Uh, I guess I'm old Tom in this example, and you would be young Tom in this example. But uh, we need to get one of those on the calendar. There's, uh, uh, you know, we've only played a few rounds so far this year. Uh, weather hasn't really allowed it. And time schedules haven't really allowed it. But uh, I'm eager to get back out there, man. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm getting uh, getting a little antsy. The Masters are this week, so that's exciting, and I, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling like uh, I need to get on the course and soon. Man, so our listeners are probably screaming at the top of their lungs. Talk about the Masters. Talk about Tiger. We're getting there, okay? Uh, but we want to at least give you a little bit of an understanding of who we are and what what the personal side of this podcast is going to be like. We're going to cover the latest events. We're going to talk about golf news, uh, but we do want you to get interested and invested in this like kind of year-long rivalry that we do uh so like norman said we do four tournaments a year 36 holes each uh and there's punishments involved or rewards in each one uh so norm why don't you talk about the first major and what the punishment was uh let me think the the first major that we did um we did in the fall of 2020 i guess it we guess it would have been uh we played here local courses and as i recall i just pretty much stomped you uh on the on the golf course that day um it wasn't very wasn't as competitive as we would have hoped and we've made some adjustments since uh, to make them a little bit more competitive but as i recall um the punishment for that is that you had to was that the one where you had to wear a bryson hat for uh for for the next round of golf that we played that was the one uh yep so i had to wear bryson the shambo's big stupid red hat uh you may have seen that on twitter if you follow me i i posted a picture of it it's it's one of my worst days of my life um I'm neither not, of, neither of us are big fans of Bryson DeChambeau, yep. um, so emulating him in any way, shape, or form <laughs> is uh, is punishment enough. And uh, I will say, Logan, that hat one did not fit you well. It did not, and it was extremely hot. Yep. But kudos to you, man. You uh, you took that punishment like a champ. Um, you wore it. You complained a little, but uh, it was all in good fun. So uh, terrible hat. Super embarrassing, uh, but fun times, but good fun times, times, right? Had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I love about golf. Like whether you're betting on the game, whether you're, you know, whether you've got some stakes, you know, whether you're, we've actually, uh, some of the stakes we've had have been actual stakes like New York strips. Uh, so we, you know, we've done some of that kind of stuff. Uh, this, the first major Norman beat me pretty bad, uh, by the, by the ninth hole on the second 18, it was over. So that was pretty, pretty embarrassing for me. But uh, since then, the second major, we did a little road trip. We went down to the Oklahoma, Texas border uh, and we played one of the courses over there at the, uh, at the casino. And then we also played tour 18 out in Dallas. And that one, I ended up victorious. That is exactly right. The wind was howling for both of those days. It was that was some tough golf. We played that one in January. I want to say late January or early February, early, early February. Yeah. Early February. And it was right there on the ragged edge of when golf was actually playable in the state. And the, uh, the round that we played at Windstar, um, I think when we teed off, it was like 40 degrees and the wind was blowing like 20 miles an hour. It was, um, I had four layers on 
and double gloves and, I and was it wasn't enough freezing yeah it wasn't enough it was it was pretty brutal um for whatever reason i didn't plan very well and all i had was kind of a light windbreaker uh that had a hood on it and i was cold to the bone and what i remember most about that is that the wind was so bad like the hood would not stay on or off uh, the wind was blowing when i had the hood on it would blow off when it was off the wind would blow it like right back around into my face so i fought with that thing i'm not making excuses logan you played great that day I did. Uh, you, you won fair and square but uh note if to I... self do not take the blue windbreaker with you to play golf ever again yeah if i recall my driver was perfect on that back 18 i hit every stinking fairway it was a stripe show uh, and you were a little wayward off the tee and that was all it took for me to kind of keep you at arm's length. Well, I'll say this, um, there, there has been improvement over your golf career, especially here in the last five years or so. And your driver is when it's on, it's on. And that weekend you drove the ball very well. And I kept telling myself is, you know, I just need to, you know, he's going to make a mistake here or there. And when he does, then I'm going to capitalize. And you just didn't, you just hit every fairway. You never got yourself in trouble. Meanwhile, I kept getting myself in trouble. And, uh, well, and you kept saying, saying in your head, I'm sure I got to stop getting in trouble. And like, you know, you keep thinking I'm going to screw up. And then when you are the one that starts to screw up, then the pressure really starts to build. And you're like, it almost doubles down on you when you're in a competition setting like that. That's exactly right. Yeah. That the second round we played at Windstar and it was, by the end of the round, it wasn't as windy as it was when we first started out. And of course, it had warmed up quite a bit, but I dug myself a pretty deep hole, I think, on the front nine, as I recall. And uh, on the back nine, I just kept saying to myself, I've got to turn this around. And to your credit, you uh, you were steady Eddie out there, and I just couldn't catch up. There was one hole in particular that I I was uh, short-sighted on the back of the green in the, in the rough. And you basically were like, there's no way you're going to get this up and down. And I shouldn't have. And I yeah, stuck right. that chip to about two feet. It was yeah. a perfect shot. And that was like the backbreaker shot. Like that's the one I remember being like, okay, I, that's it. I, I, I knocked him out. I remember that vividly too. I remember that shot. I was like, well, that was my chance and it's gone. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty cool. And then uh, the punishment or the, the winner, the re the winner for that one uh, got, a ball marker from each course that, that the loser had to pay for. Right. So, so right. I carry both of those on my keychain as uh trophies. Yeah. Yeah. And every time I see them, it pains me a little bit, but Hey, fair earned, fair earned. Well, so, yeah. Uh, and yeah. we, we won't bore you. The third one uh, was a local one. It was, uh, it was pretty brutal. Um, also Norman pretty much won wire to wire on that one, but the fourth one gets, it's where the story really gets interesting. It was epic. It was epic. Norman's going to start this story because it deserves to be told. This is what you've been listening to this point for. The drama of two dummies competing on a completely barren golf course. We are literally the only people on this golf course. We were the first people to tee off, and I don't think another group teed off the rest of the day. 
I think you're exactly right. It was insane. Um, we showed up and we honestly thought the course was closed. We played, uh, Logan used to live in a town not far uh, from where, from here in Oklahoma City, where we both live and uh, uh, out east of here. And we played what we called the old courses, where we went to the two courses that we used to play when he lived over there. Uh, for some time, my wife and I lived in Dallas and we would drive up and when we could, uh, play golf then we'd play one of these two courses so anyway we played both of them uh back to back uh across a weekend and uh after 18 i think i was two up if memory serves uh i had a, a small lead after 18 holes and when then we showed up on uh the second for the second 18 and honestly we thought the golf course was closed uh, <laughs> a course uh, over in choctaw and uh, we went there it's not the best course in the world but it's nostalgic yep and uh, we've, been, we've been playing there 20 years uh we go, we show up to this place we're the only car in the parking lot we walk into the club uh the pro shop and i'm like hey uh is this a golf course today and she's like yeah but you're the only ones here and we were like, oh, okay, so we get our cart, we go out there, and literally not a soul. I've never played golf like this ever. It's it's kind of eerie a little bit. Like you're you're you don't hear any ambient noise. There's no other golf sounds. It's just you in nature. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of awesome, actually. But yeah, it was pretty neat. It was pretty neat. Um, but let's dig into the back three holes. So we're gonna okay. flash forward to 16. All right, this is when the drama gets interesting. So if I recall, uh, you are one up going into 16 or we're even i think we're even going into 16 yes uh we are even going into 16 uh 16 is a par four uh, that comes down uh on the boundary of the property and it has a green that slopes severely back to front with a large like kind of a ravine that leads up to the green um we both hit our tee shots. I don't remember your tee shot being especially bad. Uh, mine, mine was, uh, was, they were both playable. Uh, we both wound up on the green um, with our, with oh, our second me, shot, but they spun off. Let me re, let me actually uh, interject here. My okay. drive was blasted and I had about 70 yards to the green. It was, it was position a, and okay. I go to hit this chip and it'll haunt me for the rest of my days. I hit the back of the green, which is holes that cut in the dead middle. And it spins all the way off the green, all the way down off the collar, down through the fairway and into the sand trap below the hole. Yes, that's exactly right. Meanwhile, I hit my uh, second shot up onto the green and it's also spins back. Cause it's really, it's really mowed closely. It's it's, it's broken. It's yeah, yeah. this one was a little bit broken. And I will admit I got a little lucky. My ball rolls off, stops on the front of the green, and mine is puttable from there. And mine didn't roll back into the bunker, and yours did. And then I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm in a good position here. Logan's in the bunker. I can win this hole. And um, you know, I, I could take a take a one-up lead here. Uh, going into the last two holes uh, of this most recent recent major. And as I recall, Logan, you had a little bit of trouble getting out of that sand trap. Okay. So I chip up, hit it basically to the same shot I had just hit before. And what do you know? It rolls back all the way back into my feet, like two feet from my divot. And I'm furious. I mean, I, at this point, I'm yelling at the hole. I'm saying mean things about the hole's upbringing. I'm, I'm very, very upset. 
Uh, Nothing about, directed at me, mostly at the course at this no, point. No, the course conditions uh, were unplayable on this particular hole. And so I hit an, another nice little wedge. And wouldn't you know it, it rolls off the green and onto the fringe. So I'm like, okay, I can get up and down from here for six or whatever. And I'm going to lose the hole probably, but at least I'll make Norman have to like putt for it. Right. And long story short, I chip it back to my feet again. And then I chip it over the green and then I pick up for 10. Uh, and I start saying words about the golf course and about uh, Norman uh, that I regret. <laughs> All's forgiven, bud. All's forgiven. Yeah, we've had a, we've had some tense moments on the course uh, from time to time. But that one, that one, I was really just mad. I, I mean, I wasn't even really mad at myself. Like that hole, I remember saying as we walked over to 17, like I hit a bunch of really good shots on that hole. And I none of them were rewarded. Yeah. 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 So Norman ends up making a bogey, if I recall. And uh, so he, he ends up going I'm one up at that point. He's yeah, he ends up one up at the end of, of 16. Yep. And, and then we, we move on to 17. We'll go to 17, which is a shortish par four. And you are still pretty livid at how things uh, went on the previous hole. Um I wound up hitting a drive into the fairway and then hit my second shot from it was a short wedge. Uh, it might have been 80 yards or so up onto the green. And I have maybe six feet uh, for birdie. And I'm thinking to myself, if I can make this putt, this thing is over. Right. Um, and uh, I didn't make that putt, <laughs> unfortunately. And you, after wind up being long, wind up putting up and making a, uh, a pretty nice par yourself. Uh, for us to have the hole for me to remain one up what I had forgotten one of the things that we do when we play these is we give each other a mulligan and I'd had mine in my pocket this entire time and I forgot that I could have used it that was my chance I could have used it there on that little short putt I could have used my mulligan uh, could have ended the match right then and there but it didn't but alas and ladies and gentlemen this I was is so mad get interesting yeah we so drive I'm so mad at myself for not using that mulligan um it, that, it wakes him up in the middle of the night it gives him cold sweats that's uh, true that's true that's true um uh, yeah that, that i'll never live that mulligan now, so then we moved to 18 i think i need uh, to take over from here because you can't possibly tell this with the right amount of pain okay uh, i'll allow it that I just get to interject when that's it's fine. necessary for my own sanity okay so norman's one up on 18 it's this whole 36. This is it. It's a, it's a pretty long par five down the hill. Uh, and it's, it's one that if you hit a good tee shot, you might could get there in two. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a substantial hole and Norman hits one directly left into the backyard of a lovely home in Choctaw. That's exactly right. Um, I, I got a new driver, uh, recently and that driver, normally I hit a draw, but this driver, I hit a little fade with it. And this was the first hook I hit across two days. And it was a nice high it was a draw. Sh- it was a shankopotamus. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was very, very left. And I don't think I broke a window, but it was very, very left. And when you've got a one hole lead and you're trying to just tie the last hole so that you can win the match. The last thing you want to do is be out of bounds off the tee. So then he retees 
back on the tee box. He's hitting his third shot, and he stripes one directly into that same backyard. <laughs> beautiful. Another shankopotamus, just as beautiful as the first. And wouldn't you know it, all of a sudden, Norman is dropping for five. That's exactly right. Yeah, we the ball we saw land inbounds. It goes up against the, the fence. There are leaves all over there. Um, we, we declared it leaf rule, and Logan, in his graciousness, allowed me to drop a ball there. Um, but I'm, I'm, I don't believe that ball went out of bounds. Uh, still to this day, believe that it was inbounds. But I am pretty much fuming because I've hit two dead left when I really needed one good shot. And the problem is, is that uh, where he got to drop, he was still completely in jail by a giant line of trees. So he's pinched in between the trees and the fence line, and he has to punch out. And then he ends up hitting it over the back of the green. And then he chips up and two putts for a nine. A nine, yeah. yeah. And not, uh, not my best effort there on that hole. I've played that hole a little bit better than nine a few times. A couple of times. Uh, so anyway, I hit a, a fine drive. It's a little left. Uh, I have to kind of punch out. I punch out in the middle of the fairway. I chip up uh, to the front of the green, and I've got five putts to force a playoff. <laughs> force a playoff. And uh, I use four of them in dramatic fashion because it's 115 <laughs> feet of putts. Uh, and I just kind of, I knew I had them to burn. So I wasn't really that concerned about it. So I just kind of putt putted it across the green, tapped it in and we go back to the 18th tee. Well, we look at each other after it's tied. They're like, we're going to let this end in a tie. And then we're like, no, we're not going to let this end in a tie. Plus there's no one on the course, but us. So it's not like we're impeding upon the group behind us. So we immediately spin it around, go back to the 18th tee box. And we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to settle it right there on the course. So Norman uh, has the honor because because uh, technically, you know, he was in the lead. So he goes up and does what? I hit it at the same house again. <laughs> Strips the shankopotamus, ladies and gentlemen. He couldn't have been more consistent if he tried. Oh, yeah. He gained uh, 9 to $12 in Pro V1s that day. Yeah, that's exactly right. I hit three balls basically at that exact same house back to back to back yeah um which was frustrating to say the least so then he retees for three again he tees it up and once again he lands in left trees so he's no longer ob but this time it's just a bad bad angle just yeah just so he, it's findable just in, it's it's in there but he he's not happy when he gets there it's a sucky lie uh bad angle and he's he's completely in jail so he hits a punch out, but unfortunately the punch out rolls all the way across the fairway into the right trees. And now he's got jail on the other side. Not, That's as, exactly best, right. not as best layout. Now I am in jail, but I do see what I believe to be a window where I can get the ball at the green uh, from where I'm at. Yeah, uh, we, all, particular... we can always see a window. Yeah. There's always a window. If you look for it, uh, I probably should have just taken my medicine here and did another gentle little punch out back into the fairway, play a wedge. But you know that you're kind of falling I, I, at the wayside here, so you have to kind of go for the hero shot. Yeah, I mean, you weren't necessarily playing the hole very well, but I knew that uh, I wasn't going to win the hole with a double bogey. So what do you do? You have to go for the hero shot. You probably have like 170 to the green. I hit the ball. It catches a tree, goes further right than it already was. 
And the problem is, is further right is parking lot. And so my ball like skitters around in the parking lot and I wind up having to replay that same shot again, uh, except for this time I'm playing like seven. And needless to say, Logan winds up winning this hole with, well, something less than the 10 that I made. I won it with the double bogey, um, (laughs) basically just hitting 150 yard punch shots while you mess around in the woods. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, you could have probably played that whole sandwich, 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 and you would have won. Uh, Yeah, I completely gave that one away. And my punishment for losing that major is I had to make dinner uh, for you and your wife. Three course uh, here meal. In my house. The three course meal. That's exactly right. And as I recall, it wasn't very good. So uh, sorry we, about that. The punishment's on you. <laughs> I've, I've never told you this. So this is a happening live on the air. Uh, we call that night internally in the Glover house, the hot dog fajitas. <laughs> because the fajitas, he used a smoke seasoning and they tasted like hot dogs. Uh, so uh, it was uh, it was a wild night. Uh, but yep. it was a, it was a prank, I think, really. That is like a long con that uh, the jokes on you, man. He, he, want, he had to cook me dinner, but he didn't have to cook it well. <laughs> so anyway, this is the kind of shenanigans that we do, but we're about to start a whole new season of this. Right, so right. Part of what we're going to do on the show is kind of give a chronological recount of some of these tournaments that we play and give you kind of like a whole by whole, uh, you know, recap and let you kind of feel like you're playing the tournament with us. Uh, and we're going to give some, some course commentary and, uh, you know, if, if you've ever listened to the Chasing Scratch podcast, we love those guys. Mike and Eli are really, really cool. We are part of uh, the, their like Patreon group. And, and we're going to try to uh, just give you a little bit of similar style content from that perspective because it's super fun. Listening to two dummies talk about their golf struggles is a blast, uh, no matter who the dummies are. Yeah, that's exactly right. And one of the things, um, you know, the fact that we have these matches, it kind of you know, it gives golf in and of itself is enough of a struggle. It kind of gives us something to work at, uh, to work towards. And so one of the things that we want to talk about is what we're doing uh, to improve, how we're trying to improve, uh, because one, I want to beat you, but also secondly, I want to get better at this game. I've been playing it for long enough and Lord knows I've spent plenty of money on it uh, to get better at it. So we want to talk about the things that we're doing. Uh, so that we can improve and, and we'll share that with the listeners. Uh, also too, I think it may be fun for us to involve the listeners and maybe in deciding what punishments might be for some of the majors, you know, we could ask for suggestions. We're not necessarily uh, beholden to any of them because I know that uh, sometimes I can get a little out of hand, but uh, we're always looking for good ideas, ways we can make this fun. So uh, you guys can help spice that up for us. So on our next episode, we're going to get into like our goals for the season when the first major is going to be, we're going to kind of give you a little bit of a uh, of future, you know, understanding on 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 us personally. But for the rest of this episode, I'm tired of talking about us. I want to talk about Tiger Woods. Yes. Did you by chance see the picture? Uh, this is the we're recording this the Monday uh, of Masters Week. Um, the NCAA championship game is on in the background, <laughs> but, uh, prior to turning this on, I've been watching live from the masters on the golf channel. Uh, I've watched it one and a half times already because it is my favorite week of the year. Oh, man. And, uh, Logan, did you see the picture of tiger teeing off yes. on Monday 
practice round with all those people. It looks like a Sunday. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And is there any other golfer on the planet who can garner that kind of attention on a Monday practice <laughs> round for a major? First of all, no. And second of all, I showed the picture to my wife unencumbered. And I said, what is this that you're looking at? And she said, uh, looks like Tiger teeing off. And I was like, when? She's like, uh, I don't know, like at the end of the tournament. And I was like, nope, that's today in front of nobody. Nobody cares about it. They shouldn't care about this. This is him practicing. But that's how much Tiger moves the needle. He makes everything interesting in the golf world. He, he is the needle. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, he, uh, yeah, if you follow golf, you know, this story, but if you don't follow golf, I mean, uh, you know, tiger of course has been, you know, the, uh, the guy in golf since 97. Um, and about this time last year, he had a car accident that quite frankly, um, almost killed him. Yep. And if not, um, if not for modern medicine, he probably would have lost a limb uh, coming out of it. Um, Sam Sneed famously had a car accident uh, back in the 50s and spent 60 days in the hospital. It, Tiger's accident isn't as bad as Sam Sneed's, but there many people just said that's it. That's the end of Tiger's golf career. He's well, had his, so many, many. How many times have people said that's the end of Tiger's golf career? Well, that's, that's a valid point. I mean, he's had so many discectomies and knee surgeries. I mean, uh, you know, he won the 2008 U S open on a, uh, basically a broken leg and he'll have a, he'll have a surgery and people say that's it. And he hasn't officially committed to playing in the masters, but he has a press conference tomorrow at 11 o'clock. And, um, I suspect that he's going to, and I am ecstatic i tiger is my favorite player to watch um uh, has been for a very very long time and i wasn't sure i was going to ever get to see it again so i am stoked yeah i mean man it's people when they find out that i love golf and that i'm a tiger fanboy, they have asked me over the years is he done is he ever going to come back you know after the fusion surgery after the car wreck, they're like, okay, is that, is that it? You know, what do you think? And every time I just simply tell them this dude is a psycho. He's built so differently than the modern person. I was actually talking to a work buddy about this today at lunch. And he said, you know, does, does he have what it takes to compete? Like, I know he's going to play probably, but like, you know, is he going to be any good? And I was like, listen, man, if that guy goes to a golf course, it's only because he expects to win. He, he is just a little bit different than every other athlete. But what we talked about, because my buddy's comment was, well, not everybody has the resources to, you know, rehab the way Tiger does. And I said, yeah, but you know what? Not a lot of people have the fortitude to put themselves through it on a consistent basis. Tiger has said that since he recovered, you know, got home from the accident, he hasn't missed a single day of recovery. And the pain threshold and the willpower of this dude. That's the reason that he's the greatest of all time. Of course, the golf talent was always there, but his perseverance, his practice, his training regimens, all of that dedication, his brain, man, he's, he's just different. Yeah. It's all between the ears with that guy. Uh, famously uh, in an interview that they did uh, with him, 
I want to say it was golf magazine, maybe. Um, but in, in talking with him, recovering from that, when he was in the hospital, he had his girlfriend throwing a ball, like a tennis ball to him in the hospital so that he could keep hand-eye coordination up. You know, I mean, that's, if I just had a car accident, that is not the kind of thing I think about, but that's just the way that guy is wired. He is a different kind of dude and he's there today, uh, had a practice round today, probably not going to get to have a practice round tomorrow because the weather conditions are supposed to be bad, but he says he's going to play another nine holes. And on uh, live from here earlier today, Freddie couples was saying that Freddie couples played with tiger and Justin Thomas and said that Tiger was keeping up with Justin Thomas out on the course just fine. So, and that he outdrove him some. And, yeah, and he outdrove him a few times. So, and Kucher, or not, was it Kucher? Uh, no, it wasn't Kucher. Uh, who was the guy giving the comments yesterday? Uh, Horschel. Billy Horschel, he said yesterday that uh, A, he looked like vintage Tiger to him, which is saying quite a bit to any of these guys that played with him. But, but B, he also said, that he thinks that Tiger was carrying 290 easily. Right. So if right. his swing speed is there, if if because the short game's always been there, he's never lost that really. He had a little bit of chipping yips a few years back, but for the most part, that dude's short game has been the best. And if his long game hasn't suffered tremendously and his approach game is still as good as it always was, I mean, this dude's going to be there on Sunday. Oh, yeah, I have no doubt. I mean, he knows Augusta National Golf Course better than anybody. I mean, he is um, he is a student of that place. He knows it better than anyone. And he was always the guy who could win a golf tournament with his B game or his C game. And I would argue that at Augusta National, that is probably still the case because he just knows the course better than anybody. Um, with him being there, uh, doing his, uh, doing his practice rounds and things that he's doing there, um, this, this week, uh, I fully expect him tomorrow to say, yeah, this is going to be, this is it. We're for real. He doesn't show up and just halfway do anything. He's showing up expecting to win. So you are super tuned in to Augusta national You've been absorbing all of the Augusta content you can possibly fit into your day. What do our listeners need to know as they get ready for this week? Obviously, Tiger is the big story, but is there any non-Tiger stuff that you think, you know, what does your gut tell you? Who's going to compete this week and who are you excited to watch? Uh, I'm always excited to watch um, Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas is one of my favorite players to watch. Uh, he has a wonderful short game and that's what you need there at Augusta so I think he is probably the guy to watch recently minted number one Scotty Scheffler has been playing some fantastic golf uh, he's won three times in the last seven weeks yeah. seven weeks um, went basically from uh, no wins to three wins and the number one ranked player in the world in the span of six weeks which is unheard of and that guy is playing fantastic golf so he's somebody to watch but i think one thing that really is worth uh, getting some comments on i'd be curious to hear uh, what you have to th to say about it is there's a notable absence uh, at augusta national uh phil mickelson's not there um, and you know as the defending pga champion there's uh 
there's some probably some pretty juicy gossip as to why he's not there. There hasn't been any formal announcement made, but the fact that he's not there, he did put out a memo saying that he was going to take some personal time, but I think maybe he was disinvited a little bit or maybe kind of gently disinvited. Uh, I think that he is currently not on the tour. I suspect that's right. Uh, If you haven't been following, this has been a um, very, very interesting few months uh, for the PGA Tour because the PGA Tour has been basically this monolithic, we are the only show in town Tour, which is not uncommon for for sports. I mean, the NFL is the you know that's where you play uh, the highest level of football. You know, MLB is where you play the highest level of baseball. Um, but there have been a couple of upstart leagues that are trying to put some serious cash into uh, players and to to create a uh, a rival league. And Phil Mickelson was heavily involved in that. Uh, even went so far as to hire some lawyers to draft up the um, to draft up maybe the rules and regulations for how that league was going to work. And the PGA tour came down on him pretty hard about that. And it is very possible that he has been suspended and Augusta national because of their, um, because of their close ties to the PGA tour has probably asked him, even though he is a former champion, Uh, to not be there this week. And I think that's fascinating. I'm kind of hoping that we'll hear some more about that as this week goes on, because, you know, a player of his caliber, a defending major winner, he won the PGA last year to not be at the first major of the year. That's a big story. So there, then what I think is interesting about that too, is that there were a handful of guys who were heavily rumored to be a part of this uh, golf super league that was backed by the Saudi Arabian government uh, trust fund and Phil was supposedly kind of the figurehead of it, but included it included some big names. It yeah. included Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, um, and uh, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, Adam Scott. Adam Scott was you know his name was circulated in that a bunch of major champions that were supposedly invested and ready to go. And the Saudi Golf League, the Super League was going to be pretty different than the PGA Tour. They were going to make it like a team structure. So all the guys we just mentioned, they were going to be team captains. And there was going to be kind of lesser players on those teams. And they were going to compete in teams uh, to win certain events. And they would also compete solo sometimes. But uh, it was this whole new kind of shake-up idea. The problem was that Phil got caught off the record, on the record, off the record. How I, I, hard to say. Phil says it was supposed to be off the record. The the journalist says he didn't say it was off the record, so that makes it on the record. But basically, right. Phil said some pretty bad things about the Saudi government, uh, some colorful language. He basically called them murderers. And so now... Which they are. Now he is kind of disenfranchised by the Saudis and by the PGA Tour. So he's kind of a classic case of uh, you know, bird in the hand, two in the bush kind of a situation. Like he thought he could have his cake and eat it too. And instead he gets no cake. Yeah, that's exactly right. He's kind of in, in this weird no man's land where he doesn't have a place to play. Um, and there was some speculation that he would show up for uh, the masters this week, but apparently Augusta national has told him you know, to stay away. Uh, he was able to put out a statement where it seems that it's him 
like yeah. his own choice to do that, but I don't believe that's the case. Somebody asked Bryson uh, today. I saw a tweet earlier and tweets, uh, and Bryson said in that tweet that um, he has reached out to Phil and has heard nothing back. It's just tweets or, or messages kind of disappearing into the void. So uh, he's just kind of fallen off the map. So pretty interesting uh, storyline there for somebody who is as popular of a player as Phil Mickelson is. So you've got that kind of stuff going on. This all kind of happened in the in the preseason, if you will, of golf, like as some of these tournaments started getting ramped up. And we're right now, obviously the Masters is kind of the first week of the heyday of the golf season. And Phil being absent is pretty shocking. Uh, he's at the end of his career. So right. to, miss, to miss a Masters, I mean, I don't know how many more he's got where he could maybe even compete. And so to miss one is, is pretty noteworthy. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, this being the first major, even though this is the first major of the year, the PGA Tour season, uh, because of the wraparound schedule is basically halfway done. Uh, the majors are kind of back, are definitely back loaded. Uh, the next major, though, is the PGA Championship uh, in Tulsa, which we are going to, which, woo woo, I'm excited about that. Uh, but we he'll be the defending Sunday. champ for that. Yeah, Sunday tickets, man. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully Tiger's playing and we get to see that. But to, but Phil will be the uh, defending champ, and there's a there's a chance he may not be there for that. Uh, the fact that he wasn't here or not here this week uh, makes that pretty interesting. And those Saudi tournaments are still going to happen. Um, so it's very, very interesting. You know, um, I mean, I'm fascinated by golf, but uh, kind of the drama that, and intrigue that's surrounding this has been amazing television. <laughs> it really has. I, I sort of suspect that if he's going to stay on the tour, Phil, that maybe they said, hey, you have to miss Augusta in order to compete at the PGA. Like you have to stay away for six weeks and then you can come back. Like I kind of think that that may be when they let him come back. But if he is to miss that as well, then you know something way bigger is going on. Well, let me just throw kind of a tinfoil hat conspiracy at, at you. I think that perhaps he has been told that – um you know, there's something he has to do, you know, he has to issue like some kind of renouncement or uh, some kind of proclamation where he recants all of his previous statement, you know, something that he's really, you know, going to be bitter for him to swallow and he's not willing to do it. And if these Saudi tournaments actually play and the first one's supposed to happen in June, there's a good chance that he's just going to say, well, I'm going to play here mm -hmm. and he's going to play in all of those Saudi tournaments. He can still still play in the British open. I'm sorry, the open championship <laughs> more specifically, he could still play there and he can play in the U S open. Cause that's an open championship. If the USGA doesn't kind of follow suit with the PGA tour, he can still play there. So there's a chance that maybe Phil plays 10 tournaments a year. It's these eight Saudi tournaments and those two majors. And he's going to do that for the rest of his career and take all that Saudi money. Yeah, it's because he's just not willing to, you know, bend on his principles. Yep. So there's been a lot of drama. We could do, we could probably do two hours on that topic alone because of how insane it is uh, that, you know, this league kind of tried to break the PGA tour up and take some of its stars off the top. 
and it didn't work and it's kind of collapsed in on itself, but now they're kind of doubling down. They're saying, Hey, we're still going to do it. And we still hope you come. But the, the thing we didn't mention is that the purses for these tournaments in the Saudi league are gigantic, like 25 million for each tournament. So anybody that goes and plays is going to make crazy amounts of money. Like you might play two years on the PGA tour and not make as much as you make in one tournament in the Saudi golf league. So some of those dudes are going to have some hard financial decisions to make. And I think that's what the Saudis are banking on. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think it's a, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. And at first it's going to be people maybe that we don't necessarily follow, but those guys will ride out there. They'll take the initial dollars. They'll get a back full of, uh, (laughs) you know, bird shot from, uh, uh, people who are, you know, throwing rocks at them or whatever it might be. Uh, about them playing on the Saudi tour. And then when kind of that clamoring dies down about, you know, working in a Saudi or playing in a Saudi backed league, then you'll see some stars start to move over there. Pretty incredible stuff, man. Uh, As we've said, it's master's week. It's the best week in golf. If you ask me, everything else takes a backseat in my heart uh, to watching and absorbing as much content as humanly possible from now until Sunday night, about 7 PM. Yeah. I'm super excited. Um, it's, it's my favorite week of the year and I reserve the right to say that for the U S open, the PGA championship and the British open too, because I probably will, but uh, the masters, man, it's tough to beat. It is so great. So uh, if you're watching it, enjoy it. I know I will be. Could be said for the Ryder Cup, the uh, President's Cup. Uh, there, there, there's some weeks that I really the Sanderson enjoy. Farms. Uh, I love all of them, man. I love yeah. golf, dude. I mean, I'm at the point right now where I like the waste management almost as much as anything. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a party. Uh, one of these days we need to go to that, man. 100%. Yeah. I want to see a hole in one on uh, on 16 and have 500 beers laying on the grounds. Uh, yep. You know, pretty incredible stuff. But golf is, uh, is, is fun right now. There's a lot of cool guys on tour. They're, they're, doing things like podcasts and YouTube series, and they're doing funny things and cool stuff. And you, you you have an accessibility factor here that we haven't had in the previous generations of my fandom. And so like, you feel like you kind of know these guys and you get to connect with them in a much different way. And if you're into golf, like this is, in my opinion, some of the best we've ever got. Uh, as far as the personalities, the access, you know, ESPN plus landing the rights is huge and they've already been far superior to what NBC was doing. So, I mean, we're, we're, uh, I'm pretty happy with the golden age of the PJ tour. It really is, man. Um, and well, what's really exciting is that, uh, that Netflix series, it's basically modeled after the, the formula one drive to survive and they're okay. filming footage for that now. So that's going to be really, really cool when that happens. I'm excited for that. All right, so let's end the podcast this way. Who is your pick for the top two here in the Masters? Um, Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. Yeah, Spieth is a fun one. He was one that crossed my mind as well. Uh, I, I'm going to go – I am I love Justin Thomas. He's Besides Tiger, he's my favorite player. Uh, but I think that uh, I think that Rom is going to have a bounce back week. He's had a few bad weeks in a row, and he doesn't have that many bad weeks in a row in the history of his career. So I think Rom is somebody I'd consider betting on. Uh, and I don't know, man. There's just there's something in my heart that says that this could be a Rory week. 
Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. This is the only one he needs for the career grand slam. And uh, he's been pretty inconsistent as of late. So, you know, he's had moments where he would make, you know, five or six birdies in a row, and then he would like triple three in a row. And yeah. you know, he's got, if he can get it figured out, I mean, Rory loves Augusta too, as do all of these dudes. But I think Rory's got a chance to, to finally maybe get that monkey off his back. So uh, he's been sharp in recent weeks. So yeah, I think that's probably a good choice. Let me throw something at you. Uh, Tiger top 20. I think he ends up top 15, top 15. People think he's not going to make the cut. Those people, man, I love watching Tiger prove people wrong consistently. Like he's not going to Augusta if he can't be a top 20 player. I don't believe he has any interest in that. Well, last time he was there, he finished T38. That was the the November uh, Masters. That doesn't even count. The Azaleas weren't even in bloom. Well, remember, he made a 10 on hole 12. And then after doing so, birdied five of the last six. Um, to I, th- I think he shot, I th- think he wound up one over par, um, in, in that round shooting a 73. So, uh, well, I'll, I'll say he's this. got it, he's got it. I, I, I want to end on a happy note. Um, I have seen a lot of photos, videos of Tiger in the last couple of days here at Augusta. He looks happy, he looks healthy, he looks sober. Uh, I think he's you know been battling like medications for all of his ailments for a lot of years. He looks clear eyed full hearts can't lose a real Friday night lights kind of vibe out of tiger. Like he looks, he looks great. And, you know, from some of the flashback pictures you've seen, he did not look good before the accident. I think that he's happy. I think he has a renowned, a renewed sense of like purpose and joy in his life. And uh, I think he's going to go out there and, and absolutely tear it up. You taught me into it. Tiger top 10. All right, buddy. Thanks for being on this first episode. Listeners, we appreciate you so much. Uh, We're excited to kind of uh, dig deeper and kind of find our footing here in the new show. But this is The Rough Life, and uh, we have really enjoyed sharing our love of golf with you today. We'll talk later. See you guys. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most.